welcome to Live Your Own Way with me, Lucy Gleason Interiors, chatting homes, life and inspiration with my very special guests. I have been so looking forward to recording this podcast today. I'm chatting with sustainable lighting and homeware brand founder and designer Tom Raffield, who creates classic handcrafted pieces that last more than a lifetime using the most incredible steam bending technique. Tom and his team continue to develop innovative designs with the approach always being ergonomic and responsible to the planet. Having received many awards, including Emerging Talent and also Product of the Year from the Chelsea Flower Show, And with many prestigious bespoke collaborations under his belt, it seemed a very good time to catch up with him and find out how he became a world leader in his craft. Hello, Tom. How's it going in Cornwall today? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, it's a bit um, it's a bit grey and uh, muggy, but um, I'm feeling hopeful that spring's on its way. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's looking promising. It is, isn't it? Yeah, me too. I've seen some daffodils recently, which is always a good sign. Yeah, the fields are, are full of daffodils down here. It's beautiful. Sometimes it feels as though you've got the whole world to yourself. Um, but it's uh, yeah, certainly lovely to see all the flowers in the fields. Well, thank you for speaking to me today, because I've been following your career for a long time. And I really love your work and also your whole ethos regarding your business. So um, I've got some questions to ask you, obviously, and um, you know, want to find out more. But I thought we'd start with, have you always had a passion for working with wood and did you start from a young age? Um, Well absolutely not actually but I I think I've always had a passion for um, being creative and perhaps it's because academically I've not not excelled and I was really I I am really dyslexic but growing up I had massive um, issues with um, learning in in the way that schools taught you and stuff so I I naturally sort of um, sort of got pulled towards a sort of uh, just spending my time doing creative things so I was so fortunate really to grow up in in the countryside my parents owned a sort of really rural garden centre a sort of nursery on um on Exmoor so um right next to the River X it was uh it was an idyllic childhood and I, I think I spent most of it outdoors building camps but being you know surrounded by nature and just making stuff um, but very rarely in uh, sort of in, in a sort of uh, woodwork. It was mainly bows and arrows, um, camps, and um, and you know any old bits I could find. And I have to say, I was slightly obsessed with Lego until a very late age. So, but there you go. But not fine woodworking at all, or not steam bending. Um, but it was a good start in life. And were you brought up to think about sustainability? Was that part of your life or is it something you've gained a focus on along your journey? Yeah, I didn't. I d- honestly didn't really know much about it um, and didn't have any particular interest in sustainability. But I suppose I didn't realise how it was connected to nature. So I'd always been really passionate about um, nature. You know, I just loved being outside and I suppose that sort of taught me to appreciate and to protect it because um it's you know it sort of filled my childhood and I could see how important it was so I suppose like anyone growing up in the 90s there was you know the sort of the odd report about um uh, deforestation and climate change and things that's starting to emerge so starting to sort of worry about our our impact as human beings on on the planet um was certainly kind of there but definitely not pivotal um it was you know I, i'll be completely honest i was 
completely obsessed with making stuff, creating stuff, and um, and just uh, using my hands um, to 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 make products or pieces of art or anything. Um, and and I and I realised if I could go down that route, I wouldn't have to do something academic, which really interested me because um, that was definitely not a route for me. So not not really anything um, directly. Um, uh, you know, to do with sustainability, but of course, it's that's the the, the seeds are sown, aren't they? If you have that respect for nature and grow up in that way, so um, it started to emerge really later on in in my life. Yeah, well, we live amongst fields here too, and I know exactly what you mean. It's you know, you can't not respect nature when you're surrounded by it. So, um, so when you went on to study, uh, what did you study at college or university? Well, I went to do, um, so I, I sort of, I, I did a sort of, I think it was like a BTEC national diploma in three-dimensional design, which the, the reason I did it is because when I went to have a look at what people were doing in their courses, you know, there were people sitting in classrooms and there were, um, there was this one course where everybody was just in the workshop the whole time making stuff. So I just enrolled myself on that course. Um, and then when I finished that, um, I'd sort of learned a bit about I think particularly metal I was really obsessed with metal work at the time uh, I got a fortunately got a place um, Falmouth Art College and I always loved Cornwall and always loved Falmouth um, as a place and so I, I, I sort of enrolled myself on the course there which was I think the official name at the time was 3D Design for Sustainability and that's when I kind of started to re, re, see the connection between nature sustainability and 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 I suppose I thought to myself, well, crikey, if I love making things, I could have a really disastrous impact on this world if I don't think about the impact of what I make um, on, on, on the environment, on the planet. So that's when I really started to read up on sustainability and, and I suppose become really very passionate about um, sustainability as a topic, but especially um, relating to how sustainability and sustainable design have a can have a really positive impact or a really negative impact if you don't see it as a pivotal factor when you are designing. Yeah, and is that where the steam bending came in? Is that where you started to practice it? Well, do you, do you know it was a, that was a very random thing because I'd never really worked with wood, um, and I think it was I was in my second year of my degree, and I think it was very much because I had never worked with wood. I thought I remember there being a project on materials, and I thought, well, I've never worked with wood, and I've always shied away from it because it looks. I'm really impatient. It just looks really, um, you know, you, you need to have a lot of patience for it and, um, uh, you know, and focus. And I thought, well, that's not for me, but I'll give it a go. And I thought, well, how, you know, the, one of the first questions I had was, well, how do they bend wood? I had no idea at all. And then I looked into it and I looked at laminating, kerfing or, you know, using solid wood and cutting cutting bits out of solid boards and stuff and seeing seeing CNC and cutting and stuff stuff like that but then I found steam bending and I, I was um, really intrigued by the fact that the, the Romans and the Vikings were using this process and it looked as though actually through um, the 20th century the process in terms of what you can do with it had regressed um, but certainly in Cornwall there were lots of boat builders still using it so I remember taking myself down to a boat yard I think it was in Gweek and um, it was it, well, I could still you know remember exactly um, that moment when I saw this piece of solid oak, this thick piece of solid oak, to sort of quickly remove from this what just looked like a, a ply box or a tube um, with some rags stuffed in the end, and this massive piece of oak was then bent around um, the boat into shape, and I could not believe how <clears throat> this solid 
this solid piece of, of wood that um, that there's absolutely no flex in it whatsoever before it was steamed. Suddenly, with this magical process um, that's been around for thousands of years, it was uh, it, it almost turned into rubber for a matter of seconds, and they were able to sort of manipulate and twist it into shape on this this big um, on this big this big old traditional boat. So um, that was when I was just completely blown away by the process and. Uh, my obsession started and I have to say uh, that was back in 2001 and um, oh my goodness me it was you know 20 years I'm I'm probably more obsessed with it now and <clears throat> people always say Tom you'll get bored there's only so many things you could do with steam bunny but it's just not the case it's just um, there's endless possibilities and it's the most magical process um, and it, I suppose it defies what you think can happen with this you know especially oak this solid wood um so rigid and brittle and um it's an incredible process but that's when it started and i didn't stop i think from that day on i didn't work with another material or another process <laughs> i can probably say i'm still at that point i just i'm completely obsessed by it it's amazing yeah well thanks to the vikings then for for coming up with it i'm, I'm, just, I'm just imagining them now doing it how they came up with the idea in the first place yeah i know i mean I, you know i know they, they're sort of responsible for a few sort of nasty um things but they were really good at building boats and um and uh and yeah i i think it's just much the same as lots of uh really sort of old craft processes um they're very simple. They're really, really simple things and, and to use. And they start with a sort of natural material and a very basic um, sort of uh, method of manipulation, whether it's using a knife or whether it's using water, or, you know, whatever it is. But but steam bending is in, in there. And I think the beauty of steam bending is that the process itself is simple. But as you learn about it, you realise that the the way in which you use it, there's endless possibilities and um, the more you do, the better you get and the more opportunities um, that come to you. So it's a very exciting process because there is endless opportunities and because the fact it's so simple, it's all down to the skill of the maker. And it's not necessarily the, the, material, the material or the, the, the tools that you use. It's just down to your knowledge. So in terms of wood, is it like a process of elimination, um, working out which ones work best? For steam bending well there's lots of text about it but the thing about steam bending is it is a bit of an art and every single steam bender out there in the world has got a complete you know if they were if we were to all write books each book would say a different it would sort of say to do it in a certain way or say to use a certain type of timber or anything else i mean there's some sort of general points that you'll stick to but um it's so amazing how different people find different things so um you know but what i would say is there's you know temperate hardwoods tend to bend very well fortunately for us that's wood that grows you know almost on your doorstep because we're in a temperate climate um but it's uh you know so oak ash beech walnut they tend to belt at ash they, they they bend relatively well and then you're just looking for a tree that um basically grows shoots right up and sort of um, it's trying to find the light really fast and it's got trees that grow around it so the branches don't stem off at the side so much they're sort of you know shooting up towards the top so you try and get that that tr trunk or, or 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 section of timber with no knots um, because ultimately with steam bending um, if there's knots or if there's grain run out then you, you might hit problems in terms of the, the bending process so um, 
but it, you can also bend tropical woods and you can bend softwoods, um, but just not with such such success. Although that said, the caveat is certain people can do. Um, they found a way of d doing it, which um, which gives them good results. So it's very much down to I think it's down to the the maker really and their knowledge. Yeah, um, and when wood is bent, does it stay stay bent once it's it's dried? That's it. Well, that's a good. That's a really good question, and I wish it did because it would make my life much easier. But it doesn't, and that's one of the that's one of the skills in terms of um, designing with steam bending because uh, because you're using moisture. Um, to to bend the wood um then of course as soon as it goes into a certain environment say for example if it goes outside or if it goes into a damp cold cornish cottage then the moisture is going to be sucked back into the wood um and it could then move so how can i stop that piece of wood from unbending and um so you have to be really careful that said if you use really thick wood then you can in relation to the radii of the bend you can restrict the movement so it's minimal but it depends whether that's acceptable within the design so um short answer is no it moves like crazy afterwards so you have to sort of work with it at what point did you decide you you obviously you know like you say got really into steam bending and, and um that was your focus what, at what point did you decide it was going to be your career and to start a business um well, I think one of the best things I ever did was become obsessed by steam bending, but also probably one of the worst things too, because whilst all my friends were finishing their degrees and getting really great jobs in London, um, working as sort of um, designers or working in some field relating to sustainability, I had literally spent two and a half years bending wood. So I was completely unemployable because it's um, there's not many companies out there, especially back in the noughties and we're in the 21st century which need people that think they know how to steam bend wood and I developed my own way of bending wood so I thought I knew how to do it in a new way so nobody wanted to know at all so I was I think I was pushed down uh from an from a, you know from that point down a route of self-employment really and setting up something um something on my own and so I, I started a business with two other uh college friends actually which um with three heavily dyslexic people running a business which turned out to not be so successful in terms of um nobody we really didn't really didn't really care about the business side we just wanted to make stuff all the time so that wasn't great but we did very well in many other ways so I developed a sort of different way of bending wood so I had this new steam bending process and with that new process I developed a, a chair called the chaise long and it was a big um sort of swooping design that was very asymmetric and um a, a beautiful shape um and it's very difficult to almost work out how to sit in it but that did remarkably well to start off with and i remember taking that to milan furniture fair and got several orders and that was a great start um that was a really fantastic start so that was the the first chair i i built really and that's what i sort of used to start up uh six sixes which was the previous sort of collaborative business i did with my two other college friends Okay. And how long did it, did it take to become established? Because as far as long as I can remember, you've, you know, been around and been, you know, sort of top of your game. So how long did it take? Well, after six sixes, that was, that was, a, um, that was I've, I think we, we sort of went our separate ways in 2008 because we realised we just couldn't keep working and not paying ourselves. Um, so we sort of um, 
we stopped doing that. And I thought, well, there were so many things that did work out six sixes. I'm not going to just go and get a job. I'm determined to make this work. So I set up my own business and I, um, I took some of the things that did work and out of six sixes and actually out of my college course, I developed some of these light shades out of the offcuts of the, the wood, these, these waste bits of wood, the shavings almost, and I saw how they work so well with the light. So I came up with a mini range of light shades um, and I think at the time I was selling them through Hidden Art, which is a great, um, a great kind of uh, sort of, I think, a non-profit kind of organisation, which really helped in the noughties, especially. I know it's still going now, really helped sort of emerging uh, designers, uh, makers to sell their product and promote their product. And it was fantastic for me. And um, I think I've got the Laurent Perrier Design Talent Award um early on well, that was with six sixes actually but but from from that i started up tom raffield that was in 2008 and i guess the the light shades started to sell relatively well um I was selling a, a, you know a few chairs here and there but i was i was able to with the light shades i was able to just cut my overheads so i i remember i, I worked in a small garden shed and in one shed i had my steamer and in the other shed i had my little workstation and it was a brilliant little enterprise because I was sending out a few boxes a day and um, and just sending these lovely lights to people around the world who'd found me through Hidden Art. And and, um, and that's when it all started. And I suppose I built the business up then. I just slowly got busier and busier. Um, and then um, I, I remember taking on my first apprentice. That was a, a, a magical moment, really, because suddenly I didn't have to sort of work 80, 90 hours a week. I could get someone else to help me. And then I could start working on how to sell more lights and stuff. So it just, it kind of grew from there really. But I think it was 2008 when I started it all. Um, and uh, from, uh, yeah, very, very basic um, initial, you know, shed to work in for the first few years. Yeah. And how long, how many people have you got working with you now? Oh, I, um, I think we've got about 30 people in the business um, altogether. Wow. Yeah, it's around 30. Yeah, I know. I can't believe it sometimes because you all with with business and with work, you you're always looking forward and you never look back. But when I think about that, suddenly talking to you about that garden shed, it wasn't that long ago. And um, I remember thinking then, I think, gosh, if I could just sell a few lights a day, I don't have to get another job and I can go surfing loads and it will be, you know, it'll be amazing. What a what a great life. Um, but nothing ever stays the same, does it? And it grows and you sort of you forget where you started but yeah it's um it's been a quite a journey really and so all the people that come to work with you are they already uh crafted it's can they steam bend already or is it something that you teach them yeah it's something that we no one knows how to steam bend already so it's something we teach teach them but it, you know i suppose within that within the workforce of 30 um you know you've got a large proportion obviously that are making the product but because we do everything in house then we've got um people that work on um all the sort of logistics and packing up the things then we've got people that work on you know the design engineering because we make all of our own tooling and things then we've got like a small marketing team and um you know small finance team and stuff like that so but yeah so out of um out of the 30 the people that that are in the workshop making stuff they very much come i think it's fair to say with a real interest in in woodwork and a real interest in design, um, but not many skills um, relating to what we need. We, we usually sort of teach people 
and we've got you know formulas for how we make things and we're really care you know we're really one of the things we pride ourselves on massively is um is making making a really good quality product so um so we are very very um you know we we sort of we care a lot about the products we make and so there's a lot of training and thought and um passion really that goes into the products we make um so it takes a long time to get up to scratch to make the things that we do well that's what i was going to ask you actually about the process because you know some of the designs are incredibly sort of intricate aren't they how long does it take from the initial idea through to them being available to buy on your website oh that's a great question because i'm trying to work i'm trying to work out how i can make that more um consistent now because i do i do quite a lot of the design work but um as do you know lots of people um you know lots of people within the business sort of help out and stuff too so um but the problem is you work on something for um two hours and it you you know after you know a couple of weeks it could be a finished developed product or you could work on something for five years and then nothing happens with it so it's because it's a very creative process and I design everything through making um, and it usually starts off by being inspired by something you see often within nature. Um, it's a, I can't, um, I can't make the, I can't make it into a process really, if you like, it's a very creative process and um, it's frustrating, it frustrates the whole team because they want to know, they're saying, well, these are the ideas. So when are we going to have them? And it's just, you know, what they get is nothing compared to, they, they think they're going to get something completely different. So it's a, um, it's a, it's an all over the place process, but unfortunately um, it has to be that way because what we're trying to do every time is design something that is really unique. And um, we're trying to push the boundaries really of craft and using the processes that we use. And um, it means that often it's quite high risk, I suppose. So lots of things don't work out. Some things do and some things change at the last minute. So um, the short answer to that is I would hope that something would take about a year to develop, but it often takes a lot longer. But sometimes it's less. Right. Do you have to make lots of prototypes and things before? Yeah, loads. Yeah. Yeah, loads. I'm, now I'm talking to you, I'm in a little studio and I'm surrounded by curled up pieces of wood and um just lots and lots of things that um might work at some point but aren't working at the moment and then there's some things that are working and they're going to definitely be launched in a few months which is exciting so um yeah just it's the is the is the is the way it goes it's a very creative process but it's um unfortunately it it can take a while and often doesn't end up in fruition your qualities are really sort of high product and you know obviously you use the sustainability what are the challenges when it comes to you know merging the two sustainability is a is i i believe it should be you know like a, a, a such an integral part of any design uh work that any anyone does but it's um i think it's i like to see it as opportunities so it's um so i suppose we start by there's some I suppose there's restrictions you put in place. So, you know, obviously you, you wouldn't want to use a, you know, a tropical hardwood. So we want to make sure that whatever we're designing, we can source the materials responsibly and in a sustainable way. So that's the first thing to do. And then, you know, looking at the processes, we, we don't always use steam bending actually, although it makes up lots, probably 80% of what we do, you know, it's not always the best process. So again, just 
being very careful with what processes we pick and why we pick them. So everything's really considered. Um, and But I think by restricting yourself to say, well, I can't use that process, I can't use that process, it, it often makes you explore things um, in more in depth. And, it, you know, it often rather than being something that's restrictive to say, I want to design a sustainable product, actually by restricting yourself and saying, well, I'm going to just use this process or this process, because you really explore it in depth, it, it often does lead to sort of better results. So um, I, I'm a real believer in saying it's not a, you know, sustainability is, is, is a, an opportunity um, and it leads to lots of creative solutions. So within the work that I do, or we do, um, it's an integral part of what we do. But actually, I think it's partly why we're able to design really unique products, because we are focused on that 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 sort of aspect of design yeah is it what are the key things then that you think about is it to do sort of energy and use of water and that, that side of things um yeah it's to do with the sort of well I suppose there's different things so the, the first thing that we really make sure is saying right okay so if we're going to design something it's got to be a design that's going to last a lifetime so we want you know we truly want our products to be heirlooms of the future so for example we wouldn't put in an led strip into something because we know that would be really difficult to replace um, and it would probably mean the product would be thrown away. So we'd try and use um, light fittings or, you know, just relating to light, lights quickly. We, we would use light fittings that are universal, that we know will stay the same, but the bulb will evolve and the shade won't be restricted by the evolution of bulbs and stuff like that. So that's probably the first thing to do. And then the next thing to say, well, if we're going to, we've come up with this really cool shape, it creates lovely shadows, you know, we've really inspired by you know for example that piece of seaweed that we found so this is just a it's a lovely unique original design but how is it composed can we if it breaks for example can we fix it easily is it is it are we going to have to use a special type of glue which has got um toxins in it and solvents so lots of things go in into it and i suppose we've got a formula now um uh, that sounds sort of really orchestrated but i mean in the sense that we know that we won't want to you know, if we come up with a cool shape, we're constantly thinking about how we're going to make that and um, the materials and the processes that um, go into it. And so at the back of our minds, we're always thinking naturally about sustainability because um, it's, uh, you know, say to make something last a lifetime um, is probably the, the way that you create um, a, a product which, which is the most sustainable rather than, you know, materials, of course, are important, but there's no point in using a really lovely um, sustainably sourced oak if you don't get the design right and it becomes obsolete in a year um, because it's going to have a really negative impact by throwing it away so quickly. So, yeah, getting getting the product to have longevity and that's through the way it's made, but also creating the right design. So making sure it's really original, making sure it's not following fashions or trends, but it is something that can it, it is timeless. There's a lot of things that go into it. But, um, it's fun. Yeah. And, and do you know all of your supply chains? Sort of, does it, do you know everybody involved in, in that? Yeah, supply chain is really important and having good relationships with um, suppliers so they know exactly what you want. And, you know, if talking about timber, you know, for example, you, the, the you know, suppliers that can give you the right timber that you can then bend wood and, um, and, and not throw wood away because you've split it because they've given you the wrong sort of timber is, is critical um and people you know as well 
um, supply chain is really important because you want the people within your supply chain to share your ethos and you know your philosophy really in terms of sustainability so for example one of the new parts that we got it 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 came in like a polystyrene box and it was a standardized part and and we said well we don't we're plastic free you know we don't want this polystyrene we happily pay more but can you come up with a solution so they were absolute headache for them but they came up with a sort of a solution which just uses paper and cardboard and the component floats within the thing and then they were like you know what this was this was cheaper for us and um and it's fantastic because we sell this component to lots of other people so now we don't have to use polystyrene which is so actually if you can if you can um have a good relationship with your suppliers and almost push a bit of your your beliefs in terms of sustainability on them you can have a really positive impact and and also you know cost saving as well often so um yeah supply chain is really critical yeah absolutely so um i want to talk about some of your collaborations you did and made that amazing kiosk in hyde park and a smart meter at hampton court palace you've done some some brilliant um work who, who how do you decide who to collaborate with because i'm sure you must get approached a lot yeah well we do and and it's really difficult because you know for example the raw park kiosks um we we made several of them going through all the raw parks and it was a you know it's a fantastic opportunity for us to do but i suppose uh, especially with the coronavirus of, of late as well we've lots of these commercial big opportunities have sort of um have, have slowed right down really so we've kind of decided to focus more on on the product side of the business so in terms of collaborations now we really look for um you know the sort of product focused collaborations rather than these big bespoke art installations i suppose you could call them which um you know hopefully at some point we'll come back to but you need such an infrastructure to do those and they're so exciting what happens is you know when you've got an order for 20 lampshades or a big steam bent kiosk to do in the london royal park you know nobody wants to build those lampshades we all want to get into um the, you know london and, and build the kiosk so it's um i suppose now collaborations are very much based around sort of with a product focus um and someone uh, or a company that really share our ethos that's probably the most important thing um because we don't want to be associated or we don't want to work with um, companies or people that just don't care about the planet or the world because it's just not it, it wouldn't you know it's not what we want to do we want we want to make sure that our business and our contribution um, has a really positive impact um, on on the world and that's difficult to do when you're just making stuff and say would well, you know what I'm not going to buy lots of those things I'm just going to look at this product I've got it's handmade it's really original in design I'm just going to buy less but buy better and and if we can contribute to that kind of movement of um of, of sort of you know that disposable sort of consumption um place that we sort of find ourselves in at the moment if we can help people really appreciate products and buy less and buy better then I think that's just a really positive thing and as an interior designer I've got quite a biophilic approach to what I do so I, I find with your products as well they are you know perfect because um, in the home uh, can create a real sense of well-being using wood lots of designs as well biomorphic you know lots of the things that um are you know really inspire us especially in, in cornwall you know they're sort of the the inspiration is directly come from nature and then you you can see that clearly in the design so 
knowing that a product reminds you of of a natural form or nature is one thing but then also like you're saying using a sustainable or low energy process and then also using a natural material it's a really lovely thing to have in in your house um and not everyone can have like a big garden or live next to a park and stuff so just having these little sort of prompts in your house to sort of reflect upon the world that we live in and bringing nature inside i think is is lovely actually it's really good so yeah that's very well put. I, I agree with that. And you, you've done the uh, Chelsea Flower Show several times, haven't you? And won awards then. Obviously, um, it didn't happen last year. I, I don't think it's happening this year. But is that something you will do again? I'm really hoping you will. Oh, I really hope we do as well. It's, I think it's going ahead in September now, but I don't know if we're going to be... Um, we're not, we won't have a stand there this year because we've already got plans for this year and stuff. So um, I think we're doing... We, we're, doing um a giant egg that we built giant steamed egg for the year valley um the tom massey garden on the main avenue so that should be really exciting but in terms of a stand there we, i mean as a company we just love going there because we're surrounded by um people that are really passionate about nature and plants and it's just a you know we spend the whole time in the workshop to get out and speak to our customers it's the it's the nicest thing for the whole team um, everybody loves it so I, I hope we do go back at some point again in the future um, and I have to say you know woodworkers or uh, designers are um, you know when they're mixed in with gardeners it's like the, the nicest thing because both disciplines they're so passionate about what they do um, there's a shared appreciation for each other so you, I love mixing with gardeners they're the nicest of people um, and, and we have a great time setting up for Chelsea Flower Show and taking down and being on the stand it's just the best few weeks ever so hopefully we'll go back but who knows what's going on at the moment yeah I, I did pop over when I went last time with a friend to say hi to you all but actually you were you were had people surrounding you talking to you so you know uh, you've got a lot of fans obviously <laughs> yeah well they, they the, the the problem is with calling a company uh, Tom Raffield is every male on the stand they everybody thought they were Tom so I don't know if it was, but it's just such a weird thing because um, as soon as someone comes onto the stand, you know, for example, Callum, who's who does quite a lot of our design and graphic design, um, they always say to him, oh, hello, Tom, how are you? How are the kids? It's so funny, but um, it might not be me. It's probably one of my um, extras. <laughs> yeah, it's good, it's good fun and it gets busy. And, and that's what I mean. It's just so lovely talking to our customers we don't have a you know we don't have a sort of a big um physical presence anywhere so when we have a chance to speak to um lots of our customers and and stuff it's um it's yeah it's the it's the nicest thing because they say lovely things as well about you know we're really passionate about what we do and why we do it and how we do it so to share that face to face with some people and to hear feedback um, it's just it's a lovely thing for the team and, and for me of course too so yeah when, when you pack everything down afterwards what happens to it all oh well um that's a really good question because we so what we did so the first year we built this and met well the first year we were on the main avenue we built this amazing um stand and our idea was to sell it at the sell it all um at the stand so you know to because there, there were lots of sculptures in it and stuff but I wasn't happy selling things because they were they weren't perfect because we had to build them for the, the show so I've still got parts of it in my back garden actually for, for that because I wasn't able to sell it some bits went to um charity gardens and things but there's there's certain parts that didn't 
So the following year, we were like, right, let's build the most sustainable stand by reusing everything that we didn't sell or didn't give away in the first year and and look at, you know, old bespoke jobs to see what materials we have. So we pretty much built the whole stand out of reclaimed materials from previous events that we had done um, and, you know, sanded the wood back and, and the rebent parts or uh, so it was a it was a really good um, it was a really good solution. And then when it came back, so the third time it was used, we used bits in our new showroom um, where we are now and stuff. So we I think we built a really sustainable um, stand. And then of course all the plants went to um, oh the charity a charity that um, takes them for sort of uh, I can't remember what the charity is now, but it takes them at the end of Chelsea Flower Show. So. Everything was reused and repurposed. Um, so I, I like to think we had a truly sustainable stand. Yeah, that's really cool. So what's your most innovative creative uh, creation to date, do you think? Oh, um, well, there's been quite a lot of crazy things. Um, but if I was to sort of, if I, I think there's a lot of crazy things, but I think um there's also been things that are a, a combination of they're relatively out there and by that i mean you know re really original but actually at the same time they commercially they've sold well and i think that's for me as much as i i love creativity it has to it has to hit a chord with um a customer a demographic it has to has to mean something to other people and has to be accessible i suppose as well um so I, I think probably, I mean, the, I'd say that, you know, the Skipper light and the number one, they're two designs, which they're two light shades, which are, they're, you know, certainly at the time, they were truly original designs. And I remember doing them thinking, gosh, nobody's going to buy this. I mean, who has a, a light shade made out of wood that looks like a, a butterfly or a, a flower? Or who has, a, who has like this big steam bent ball of crazy wood? Um, and then, you know, because there was something about the designs that there was, it was so striking, so unique. And I loved them, but I just thought I'd missed the mark. And I remember doing a trade show and putting them up at the start and looking around thinking, God, they're so different to everything else. But they turned out because they were so original, they turned out to be, you know, our best sellers and almost um, helped shape the business we are now. So I have to say they're probably the two products that I'm most proud of and probably the two two products that um, I think be, you know, m most original in many respects. Were they one of the earlier designs? Yeah, they were. The number one was probably my earliest one, number one light, and the skipper came out of the butterfly light. And the butterfly light was, I think I did that in 2010. Um, so the number one, it was, um, is part of 6.6's really, that came out. Um, so that was 2006. Um, so... Yeah, so they're really early designs, but probably the ones I'm most proud of because they've also just really helped shape the business. So it's it's been good. They come in different sizes as well, don't they? Which is quite good because obviously they'll work for all different sorts of homes. Yeah, they do. They really do. And I, and the probably the nicest thing is because we we you know they still because they're handmade. They they take a long time to make, but often you know if you're if I'm walking somewhere let's say you know down a road in London occasionally I see one of our lights and often it's a number one or a skipper you know shining through um the window of a house and that's a proud moment but I think the nicest thing is we just get so many lovely comments about 
so they're you know because we we mainly sell things online um until you actually see the things um no photo can do it justice so when people will you know receive the package we just get so many lovely comments from people about how the it's transformed their space and and how it's really made their house a home and they send us photos all the time and you know that's it's, a, it's just a lovely thing to do and people become passionate about what we've created and it gives you a buzz but it's um those two designs i think are the, the you know i'd say probably our, our most iconic but also our most original. And the cluster pendants, because obviously they're incredibly intricate. Are they all exactly the same or slightly different? Um, so they're all, there's like tiny differences with, you know, coming back to steam bending, it kind of, um, it, there's no two pieces of wood that are the same and therefore wood will bend very slightly um, differently depending on that piece of wood. And that then informs the design. So I suppose the beauty of each piece is they are they are you know very slightly unique. So for example, if you'd have one next to the other, you wouldn't be able to tell that to the maker you'd see clear differences. And if you were to really study them, you'd see the difference. So they work well in interiors because they look the same. But to a, a trained eye, or if you were to study them, you'd see the difference. And I think that's the thing that gives it real value and meaning because they are all handmade and all slightly unique i love the um the sort of kaleidoscopic looks like a flower actually is it, is it arame or is that how you pronounce it oh the arami yes that's right and that's that that came from um my wife picking up a piece of seaweed on on um on the beach and um developed the shape into that and then that was matched with me finding a way of steam bending it so you know it's a lovely story as there are with all the products actually behind everything but that's um that was lovely because the shape sort of directly came from that piece of seaweed that we found on um, Marazine Beach down near Penzance. So, yeah, and it creates lovely shadows um, against the wall with the, the mirrored bulb or, again, on the, on the ceiling pushing the light down. So, yeah, it's a really special piece. And they take ages to make, actually, I have to say. You must get so much inspiration from Cornwall because it's such a beautiful place. Yeah, and it's always changing. So you can... Um, yeah, you can. There's you can never have enough of it. It's it's an amazing place to live and work. So as well as your lighting, obviously you do furniture as well. You like do poofs and sofas and chairs, and um, you use some um, upholstery on them. So how do you choose the colours? Because you've got some really lovely colours on. There's sort of like a, a teal, which is my favourite colour, and then a, a, a sort of grey silvery colour, and then candy pink. So how did you work that out? Well, I guess it's it's similar to the sort of the um you know in terms of the, the woods you know we have ash oak walnuts we've got those different tones and we we love the the wool um it comes from um abraham moon and sons so it's a british vertical uh, woolen mill and um all you know just by the nature of wool you get that, you get a lovely texture um and so we we just we i mean i think a couple of years ago we had different colors so every couple of years we'll change the colors but we also give people the opportunity to look through the swatches and pick their own colours or pick their own fabric because actually these chairs, these designs do work with, you know, any sort of, um, they work with so many things. It depends on the interior, but we find that the colours that we offer um, work with a lot of different styles of interior. And, you know, as I say, what we want to do is create timeless pieces. And so, you know, we pick those colours really thinking about how, colour schemes and trends and fashions will move but hopefully the chair will still be relevant um but 
it's uh, yeah. I mean, I have to say the, the pink wasn't my first choice, but it's I think our most popular. So I love it. Yeah, I know it's it's you know it's 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 funny. I'm really good with um, really good with shapes and curves, but upholstery and colour, I'm not. I've I, I, you know be completely honest, I'm not so great with it. So I have to have to really de- you know rely on my team to kind of help help m- me pick um, what what we think is going to really work well and be timeless well teal is a brilliant color i think teal is supposed to be the most liked color in the world apparently really i didn't know that at all oh wow well we definitely didn't know that at the time i think we started to do the teal about a year and a half ago but we had yeah had no idea about that but that's great i'll tell emma who i think picked it um and uh, she'll she'll be over the moon and i also spotted even you even do Christmas decorations, obviously at Christmas time. So you've thought of everything. Oh, we love doing Christmas decorations. It's hilarious because the, there's a running joke because it takes us takes us the same amount of time to make a Christmas decoration as it does to make a lampshade. So um, it's a real lost leader for us, but we get so festive and making our lights often in tiny form. They're so beautiful and lovely. We can't stop ourselves. Um, but yeah, commercially, it's probably a disaster but it's good fun. And you also, as well as obviously having your store, you stock with so many other stores now, don't you? Sort of your name comes up everywhere and it's just amazing. It's so good to see. Yeah, we try and we, so we, we do, we really consciously try and restrict where we sell because we don't want to be, I suppose also the, the, the truth is that we're, you know, we're hand making everything. And so for us, it's not about the volume we sell. It's about the quality and it's about selling. We, we don't like doing discounts and, and stuff like that because it costs what it costs to make and so it's not a commodity it is a, each piece is an individual object so we're really careful with who we sell through and how we sell but yeah that we've got some really good partners and um they're really really happy because they 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 do really well and and also for for them it's nice to sort of support and um sell a product that is original sustainable and made in england um so it's, it's it works all around yeah absolutely so you said earlier that you've got some new uh, lines coming somewhere somewhere in 2021 is there anything you can talk about yet or do we just have to wait and see oh you you definitely have to wait and see but because i can't stop talking and i and i and i can't help myself um there's definitely going to be um quite a few new um light shades and and hopefully um there'll be a new chair um i've just we've just got to work it out we're working on it at the moment and it's looking really exciting um and uh but that's the thing is there's probably like 50 different things um going on and it's every year it's about trying to pick the ones that we think we can finish and we think that will work really well um and and so it's always difficult to sort of commit to saying what we're doing up until a couple of months before which as I say my team absolutely hate but that's the way it goes so um but I I think it's looking as though we're going to have some um some light shades and a chair this year which I'm really excited about oh fantastic well I'll be regularly checking your website so that's for sure but um, Tom thank you so much for talking to me today I've really enjoyed it and I feel like I've learned a lot too yeah lovely to speak to you too and uh, thank you very much for having me on okay have a lovely evening you too all the best thank you bye if you'd like to visit the Tom Raffield store it is at tomraffield.com and you can follow his company on Instagram at Tom Raffield my website with interior design services and inspiration is lucylovesyou.com And please do come and say hi on my Instagram page, which is Lucy Gleason Interiors.
Don't forget to subscribe here too, as there will be another great guest next week. And until then, have a good one. Mm-hmm.